How you doing, Jack? I'm good, Zach. How are you? Doing wonderful. I'm excited for the special guest we have on the podcast tonight, Carlos Welch. You may know him also as the homeless poker player. He lives in a van, studies poker full time, plays for a living. Carlos, how are you doing tonight, man? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Our pleasure. Yeah. All right, so we hear you have a hand for us. Yes. So this is a hand that I played in a weekly home game that I do every, pretty much every Saturday night. But, you know, when I, I do so much traveling, um, but when I'm in Atlanta, I go to this game every um, Saturday night. So this is a hand, it's a one-two game. Mm-hmm. And in this particular hand, um, the effective stacks were $185, and I had the villain covered. Okay, and just for my curiosity, is this the home game that you've talked about on like the Coaching Carlos kind of premium podcast that Thinking Poker did? Yes, this okay. is the same, same game. So the super loose, super loose, crazy game. <laughs> yes, it is. Super loose, super crazy, and... Um, Usually it plays bigger than this particular hand is going to play because of frequent straddles. But in this this hand, we did not have that um, issue. Okay. Okay. Did you say the limit of the game? It's a 1-2 game. Okay. And generally we play with $300 stacks. In this situation, I was... Um, no, I had the guy covered. So the guy, the villain in this hand had 185 but I had him covered... So what's the preflop action? So um, action folds around to the button who limps in for $2. I'm in the small blind with two red kings, and I raise to $10. Before, no, I guess um, I should go back and say the main villain in this hand is going to be the big blind. Okay, yeah. This is the type of game, and you guys play um, small stakes, so maybe you hear this. Um, Also, like, when the big blind limps after it folds around to the big blind, the, I'm sorry, the button limps after it folds around, the big blind referred to the button kind of jokingly as a chop blocker. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So so I'm sure you're familiar with with that phrase, but if anybody's listening that's not, um, familiar it basically means that had the button not limped um, myself being in the small blind and the big blind probably just would have chopped the pot instead of playing so when somebody comes in especially for a limp um, on the button it prevents the um, possibility of chopping so that's why he kind of you know called the guy a chop blocker so he calls the guy chop blocker and I raised to ten dollars, and he makes a comment. Um, I would have raised if you hadn't, <laughs> and that that that's going to come into play later. Got it. He go ahead and he calls, and the um, button also calls. So we go to the flop with um, thirty dollars in the pot, and the board comes nine of hearts, six of diamonds, and five of clubs. And again, I have two red kings. Um, I, go ahead. I, I was going to say, before before we kind of go over, you know, whether to bet and if so, what sizing, how are you kind of perceived in this game? Do people kind of know about, you know, 
the fact that you play for a living and uh, are either the people in the hand familiar with the podcast you've been on or your Twitch channel and, you know, how, how are they going to perceive this, this rage pre-flop? Are you still Carlos the Knit or? I'm, I'm Carlos the Knit because <laughs> I play tight in this game, but they have no idea about any of the other stuff. Hmm, okay. They, I've been playing um, for in this game for at least a year and a half, and I I, I kind of pride myself on um, doing a job, doing a good job of not talking strategy at the table. Like I, I guess a good um, testament to the fact is that ninety five, ninety nine percent of the players in the in the game don't know anything about my appearances on podcasts or anything like that. Uh, a lot of people in my shoes would want to like you know talk about mm-hmm. this stuff at the table. No, not me. I'm very quiet in this game, and I'm very tight. Yeah, strategic so, modesty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So he knows me as a nit just from playing in the game, not from, you know, hashtag nitcast. Okay, and then if, uh, just before deciding whether to better check, do you think both of these players, if they had any type of pair, are likely calling, like, a reasonable size C-bet between, like, a half pot and three-quarters pot? Um, you mean a pair pre-flop or if they made a pair on the board? Like either one. Like if they have a pair of fives, sixes, sevens, eights, nines. Oh, yeah. Nobody, nobody's folding. Okay. Nobody ever folds flops in this game. Okay. So just, just wanted to, to clarify yeah. because, you know, it seems like obviously a very standard spot to continue betting for value. Mm-hmm. But just wanted to kind of make clear to the listeners that, you know, depending on the, the metagame and depending on how people are perceived, uh... If you're if you're in it and you're betting in the spot and there's a competent player behind, you know they don't really have a lot of incentive to call you down super light. But if they're just trying to make a parent call, they have all the incentive they need. So, <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it really becomes more of a sizing question. Yeah. Uh, if you, I guess, if no one's pulling pairs, then I would say try you know for sure bet on the bigger side. But I guess if you want to keep in a lot of gut shots and you think that's possible uh or even likely then maybe betting smaller will be more profitable in the long run i don't know what what were you thinking in terms of sizing the spot um this was a hand that i played a while back so i'm a little bit and this is like right when i was starting to learn cash games i kind of grew i kind of came up playing um online tournaments mm-hmm. and where you know half pot is essentially standard yeah, and so um, that was um, the sizing that I use in this in this hand. If I was playing this same hand today, I would definitely um, bet bigger than half pot. Mm-hmm. But um, there was a at this point on the flop, there was a. Uh, oh, actually, that's not true. Um, I'm looking at something different. So there's thirty dollars in the pot, and I bet twenty. Um, yeah, that's roughly the size I would use today. Okay. Yeah, I think 20 is probably fine. It's just a question of what you're trying to value target. I mm-hmm. would I would guess that anyone that has a pair on this you know, board, based on the information you've given and the type of game it is, is going to probably call almost anything up to a pot size bet. So then the real question is just the sweet spot of how you're going to keep in the marginal draws. Uh, and in my experience playing live poker... People that are calling flops with marginal draws basically just to hit without any plans to bluff certain scare cards or something are going to be fairly indifferent to sizing as long as it's not crazy right. uh, and might convince themselves that, like, you know, the button, if they have a gut shot, if the big line calls might convince themselves that it gives them way better odds to call on the button. Um, 
So I actually probably like just slightly bigger. Obviously, 20 is still a fine size, but I'm probably going 24, 25, 26 here because I think that extra four to six dollars is not going to make much of a difference. And I think those type of players are just there to call on the flop and fold the turn if they miss. I like that. I like that. Um, the one thing is the effective stack is um, 185. So it shouldn't be too hard to get stacks in by the river, I think, if that's something I want to do. But um, in, in other hands in, in this game, a lot of times the effective stacks will be like $300. And mm-hmm. in a situation like that, I would most certainly bet bigger. Yeah, yeah. I, I think in this spot, given their ranges, I think you're trying to more likely on the flop just maximize your flop value. Like not trying to get stacks in against most of the range, just trying to get yeah. as much money in as possible now against their marginal draws and marginal pairs because the board's likely only going to get scarier for a pair of fives or sixes or for a gut shot. So I'm kind of betting as big as I can to get those hands to call, you know, 90 plus percent of the time and then evaluate the, the turn. Yeah, right. and, and maybe you're not worried about not being able to get stacks in against someone holding ace-nine here, in which case the sizing probably doesn't matter a whole lot. But I think that this is probably... We're targeting a range that's going to be a lot easier to get the money in on the flop, I guess, before people really started thinking, and then with a modest turn bet that sets up a pretty uh, small river bet relative to the size of the pot. Right, that makes sense. So... As, as I said, I bet 20 into 30 on this board. And the big blind raises to 40 and the button folds. <laughs> so now it comes back around to me. And I started... Well, let me ask you guys this before I give my thoughts. <laughs> do you... Like, what do you make of the fact of the comment where the guy said... I would have raised uh, if you hadn't. In a loose game like this, and a player making a comment like that, I would guess that their bigger value hands are probably going to be, if he's raising, he's probably going to size it bigger than a min-raise. And I think that, especially in low-stakes games, when you see someone make a min-raise on like a relatively innocuous flop like this, you're going to see a lot of see-where-I'm-at hands. Like I wouldn't be surprised to see you know, even sometimes a pair of sixes or fives kind of just, it doesn't make any sense, but in their minds, it's, you know, I have a pair, I don't want him to push me around, uh, and I'm just going to see where I'm at. So I, I would guess that their range is more weighted towards kind of middling value hands in their mind. Mm-hmm. So, you know, some fives and sixes, a lot of nines, maybe a good amount of eights, pair of tens, hands like that, maybe jacks. But I think it depends on, you know, you've played in this home game for a while and you have history with a the player. There's some some players where min raises are nutted, but I think for most kind of you know loose passive recreational players, a min raise on on a flop like this is going to generally be a middling value hand. I have a couple of questions uh, about okay. this player. Do, does he tend to be honest? Would you say, or is this like a home game where there's a lot of honesty in showing your hands and that type of thing? Um, there is some of the um, hand showing stuff and. Generally, I feel like the people are either mostly honest or when they are not being honest, a lot of the times it's obvious. <laughs> this particular player, though, kind of strikes me as like a habitual liar, like even outside of poker. 
So <laughs> okay, it's, it's it's hard for me to get a read on when he's being honest or not. And then the but, other question would be: Do players in this game three bet very often? No. Okay. So, uh, but all that said, I kind of felt like his comment pre-flop that he would have raised if I hadn't. I do take that as honest um, just because of the situation. Like there was really not a reason for him to say that if it wasn't true Um, in a situation where, you know, he bets a river and somebody raises and he folds. I can see him making up, you know, folding like a strong hand in the spot where he didn't have one. And in a situation where he feels like it benefits him to lie, Mm -hmm. um, I think he will lie. In this situation, pre-flop, um, I trust him because there was no benefit to him. Yeah, I think it's an important point to make. Uh, and generally, like when you're playing live low stakes poker, uh, you know Zach Elwood talks about this in his books and articles. Like you have basically people that are honest, people that are not, and more people than than not are honest. Uh, but that it's you know specific situations like these where there's really kind of no reason to lie. Like someone who's lying in that spot is likely lying about everything to everyone outside of poker. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, yeah. So, I mean, based on, on that, on that read, what, what do you think his range looks like on the flop when he's been raising you here? So I want to go back to, um, the best way for me to answer that question is to go back to his pre-flop range Mm -hmm. based on that comment my thought was he probably has the type of hand that he would generally raise, you know, had I limped, uh, just completed a small blind. And so I'm thinking, like you said earlier, earlier, um, middle to, um, uh, like middle strength hands, like, you know, pairs and like Broadway cards or like maybe some suited aces, stuff like that. I wouldn't expect him to have a hand like six, five after mm-hmm. making that comment. Yeah, And so I can't put many two-pair combos in his range. Uh, if he had two-pair on this board, I would see him raising it. But given the pre-flop situation, I don't put those in his range at this point. Yeah. So I'm guessing he either has, like, small pairs that became sets on the flop or over pairs some of which I beat and some I don't. And well, I'm sorry, one I don't. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I guess I I agree with you. Although I would guess that he doesn't have aces. I feel like when uh, when you have aces, you're sort of shell shocked <laughs> a little bit to the point where you might not make that kind of comment. Uh, that, yeah, and and also I would have I would ex- expect him to um three bet me pre flop. Okay. With um at least Kings plus, possibly even Queens, but mm-hmm. probably not Jacks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that this is well, do you think this is someone who would ever raise as a pure bluff with two ever cards? No. Um if I if I had to guess if I had to give him any range for doing that, it would be something like a Jack 10 of hearts, but I can't see him. He's not the type of player that thinks, Oh, 
this board is not good for Carlos's range. Let me raise <laughs> as a bluff. He's definitely not on that level at all. Yeah. Yeah. So then it's kind of, to me, just a combinatorics question, right? Like if he always has some type of value hand here uh, and we have a pretty good sense of his range, we can kind of just count the combos of hands that are beating us and then count the combos of hands that we're beating and figure out how to proceed. Uh, how's, how's that sound to you guys? It sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah, so... So, so, yeah, he has nine combos of sets that are beating you. Uh, Maybe up to... Well, if he's playing tens, jacks, and queens this way, then that's 18 combos. Yeah, and you can maybe give him 16, take away, like, two two of the queen's combos. You know, we're, we're saying he li- really likely doesn't have aces. Um, and you don't, think, you don't think this is ever, like, a sort of strange protection raise with a hand like sevens or eights? Or ace um, nine? Um, ace nine, I could see. Um, I feel like he probably wouldn't do this with, um, sevens or eights. I mean, it's possible, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't think so. Okay. So if we give him even just a few comments of ace nine, then it's, you know, his range is weighted towards decent value hands that, that we're beating overall. So now just the question is, what do you think he's going to do if you three bet him here? Because... Uh, I don't know, you know, how much poker awareness this guy has, but Carlos the Knit raises pre-flop and three bets you on the flop. Yeah, <laughs> your your pair of tens is probably no good. <laughs> right, I could see him folding maybe like tens, possibly jacks. I don't know if he's folding queens. It's like jacks is that hand that so many recreational players hate. And so mm-hmm. I can see him not, you know, being too um, disappointed to have to lay down like jacks or worse. But I think I don't think he's folding queens if I raise on the flop. Yeah, maybe even bet on the flop. Maybe even more importantly is, do you think he's going to continue betting with hands like Ace Nine uh, and Tens on a blank turn card? Yes. Then I think yeah, just call yeah yeah. Especially if you think he's folding tens most of the time, it's a pretty. Pretty clear call. Um, I also think, just pointing out to listeners, this is kind of the beauty of really listening to all the little things that happen at the table when you're playing live low-stakes poker, because just on one comment, we're now able to narrow his range down that much more. Uh, and coupled with the fact that we have a read that he's likely never bluffing here, we can you know narrow down his range to a single-digit amount of you know hands, basically, yeah. uh, which allows us to do really exploitive things. Uh, so... Yeah, yeah, if you're if you're if you know your opponent well enough to make certain assumptions, then it really just becomes a simple math problem. Yeah. Right. All right. So good job, Carlos, keeping track of all that stuff. And uh, what did what did you do on the flop? So he raised a forty. The um, button folded, and I basically went through this whole analysis that we just did, this whole thought <laughs> process, and I felt like if I raised, he would basically. Um, fold worse, the ma- the majority of the worse hands he would fold, and he would continue with the better hands. And so I decided to just call, and now the pot is one hundred and ten dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, not sure exactly. Like, let's see what would be behind. So about this. about one ten as well. You know, yeah. right? Roughly pot size. Yeah. Um, so the turn is the seven of diamonds. Ooh. So, yeah. So now the board is 
Nine of hearts, six of diamonds, five of clubs, seven of diamonds. How do you get much value? Yeah. Uh, right. Mm-hmm. So now I guess the question is, do we check and continue bluff catching or do we lead? Well, we if we, if we had this really strong, you know, read about what his range looks like on the flop, we shouldn't disregard it when the worst t- turn card comes out. So... Uh, unless unless you think retrospectively he's maybe capable of semi-bluffing the flop, I think I'm, you know, check-calling small blocker bets and check-folding to, like, a shove or a bigger bet. One thing I'm tempted to consider is if shoving... I mean, is, this is probably not, not a player who would ever fold a set to an yeah. open ship, right? <laughs> no. Okay. Yeah. And then right, we'll leave that train of thought behind. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so do you just you know maybe we want to clarify our flop kind of range analysis. Do you think he has any semi bluffs in his range there? Um, I would say, like we mentioned earlier, possibly the uh, Jack Ten of Hearts makes sense. A uh, Jack Ten of Diamonds. Well, um, or is the flop two hearts and now it's two diamonds? The flop was rainbow, right? And oh. The nine, and the nine was a heart. So I felt like, you know, that gives him a jack. The reason I mentioned Jack 10, because that gives him like three to a straight flush. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of turn cards that could be good for him. Um, so that's why I thought if I had to give him a, a hand that he would bluff raise on this flop, that would probably be uh, the top of his um, bluff raising, like, you know, no pair hands. Like as far as hands that with a pair that he will be turning into a bluff. I hadn't even thought about that. I don't know what. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, he's, he's, he's yeah, he's probably not doing that. But uh, I yeah, I, I made a mistake. I thought there was a there was a, a flush draw on the flop. So oh. so so maybe he has like maximum kind of two bluffing combos on the flop. What about yeah? yeah. Uh, maybe one of those could be like an ace eight three. Yeah, flush. I can see that. Maybe like an ace eight of hearts. Yeah, yeah, that would make sense. So I guess the question is, what is he doing with those middling value hands now? The 10s, jacks, and queens? Uh, is he always checking back when he has that? Um, I think... All right, that's a good question. So now, so if I had an 8, I hit the straight on the turn. And in addition to that, there's now a flush draw. I, I feel like this is the type of player that would be more likely to bet in order to protect from um, the flush coming Mm -hmm. versus the type of player that would check thinking that, oh, there's four to a straight on the board. Okay. And if you, um, if you bet out here for, let's say half pot, do you think he's likely calling with those types of hands? Yes. Well then, I think uh, I think I like leading out here. It kind of sounds counter. Generally, as a rule, you know, when a really bad card for your range comes out, you don't want to lead out and especially fold to a raise. But I think against this particular player, it's actually a pretty good spot to bet full and maybe even try to get some more value on the river. Uh, because if he's never going to raise with the hands that you're value targeting, but he's kind of always going to raise to protect with his sets and maybe his turn straights, then. Even though you're getting great odds, I don't. I don't mind a bet fold here. Uh, well, just to clarify, I don't know if we said that 
he would never raise uh, with queens here. Does that sound right, Carlos? On the flop? Yeah, or not no. on the turn here. If we lead out the turn, do you think he ever raises with hands like queens? Raises? I don't think so. I don't think he would fold it, but I don't think he would raise either. Okay, well, if, if we agree on that, I, I agree as well. That I, yeah, I also like leading out for like half pot uh, and then a quarter pot on the river. Fingers crossed, you know. <laughs> Getting greedy. <laughs> Yeah, so this is where the earlier comment I made about being new to cash games <laughs> came in because um, the whole um, call flop lead turn line is so awkward in my in my mind as a um, small stakes tournament player that it didn't even, did not even occur to me. Um, all I knew at this point in my um, poker career was just check to the razor. So mm, yeah. On the turn, I'm basically checking to him again. And at this time, I'm thinking either he has some hand that I beat or he has me beat. And I'm I'm, I'm less value-minded um, in this spot and more like, you know, I'm, I'm playing more scared, I think, <laughs> at this point in my career. Yeah, and I think against like a random opponent here, even a random not great opponent, checking is likely the best play. The only reason I advocate leading here is because we just are making these really kind of specific assumptions about what he's doing with the already narrow range that we that we decided. I think against a lot of opponents, it's a good spot to check because people are going to play pretty face up in terms of their bet sizing. I also think leading makes more sense given that he's a bit shallower. Right. I because then, you know, when he goes all in on the turn, he's just never bluffing. So you can kind of comfortably fold. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. A lot of sense. <clears throat> but as played, I checked, and he bet 70 into 110. <laughs> and at the time he bet 70, like before he bet, he had 134 behind. Okay. So he, so he bet more than half of his stack on the turn. He, yeah, it, it's, it's an annoying bet because he could conceivably be doing this to protect with a hand that you're beating. But I don't know, I think, uh, I think I'm probably folding to a sizing like this, uh, given everything you've said. Yeah, mm. this is, uh, my thought at the time was, this feels like a set. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or, uh, yeah, basically, it feels like a set, and I want it to fold, but I thought to myself, if he also plays over pairs like this, then I'm still ahead. I'm still ahead of his range. Just um, coming rhetorically. Yeah, if he if he plays every over pair like this, but I think uh, unless I had even more information, I would mm-hmm. say maybe he plays half of his over pairs like that. And then if you do the math, you're you're kind of behind. Even if he does half the over pairs of the sizing, which I think might be a little generous. Mm. Well, yeah. I mean, this is just a question of how we read that sizing. You know. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think that. If we give him half or even uh, 40% of ace-nine and better, or ace-nine and worse than a set, better ace-nine or better, but worse than a set, right. uh, then it's a call if we think that he'll certainly check behind on the river. But if we think that he's betting some of those hands again on the river, but not all of them, then it's a fold. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like... 
I personally, when I'm when I'm seeing this bet here of seventy, I just it's just rare that I'm going to see your kind of average recreational player making that bet without a hand that's beating us. I think it definitely happens, and I've definitely ran into players that just get super attached to their over pairs. And I think he's a lot more likely to do this here with queens versus tens, even though it's kind of the same hand. Uh, but I I think without further information, I don't think he's doing it with enough of his over pairs to, to lean it towards a call. Mm-hmm. It's, I guess I, I see the bet. It's it's really sort of an awkward bet for us because it's it's not small enough to feel comfortable and it's not big enough to feel comfortable folding. <laughs> or for me, it's not. Because I, I mean, I do think that it's it's about standard sizing for what you'd expect, sort of a low stakes villain to you know. Oh, I bet forty. I bet seventy. But it is like a really scary card for a set, and I think that at least some players are going to size bigger with sets here. Yeah, I can't say with any confidence that that's true. I guess another thing to consider is that we do have some ace eight in this range, so we do think that he can have a straight here every once in a while. Which definitely leads it to towards a fold. I guess I would probably just go with your gut here, uh, Carlos, since you know the player best. Okay, so I didn't know what the hell to do. I um, <laughs> felt like I was beat a lot, but I also, like I said, felt like there were even more um, combos of hands that that I beat. Um, so I decided to metaphorically side call. I didn't like literally side. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I I did tank I did tank call though, so that's probably um kind of the same thing. But yeah, I called and now the pot is $250 and the river is the 10 of hearts. So um just to give everybody a recap of the board Nine of hearts, six of diamonds, five of clubs. Turn is a seven of diamonds, and the river is the ten of hearts, and I have two red kings. Thank you for the recap. We should we should do that more often. Yeah. <laughs> so now there's two fifty in the pot and sixty four dollars behind. And I guess obviously there's nothing else for us to do here but check. I agree. Yeah, I mean I think when you get to the river, especially now when this card comes. I'm check folding because yeah. as as described and against your average low stakes villain, like no one is betting a hand like worse than yours here, or at least not a high enough percentage to make it a call, even with the you know really great pileouts you'll be getting. Yeah, and our our most optimistic turn situation just got totally wrecked, anyways. So yeah, you know, like if 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 it was a if it was right to profitably call the turn, it's because he was doing it with most or all of his combos of tens. Uh, and now that just hit a set, so. Yeah. So it was, like, probably the worst possible run out for me. Yep. But, <laughs> again, like I said, I was um, a newbie. I checked, and he went all in for his last 64. And this time I probably literally side-called <laughs> because it was the river. And, you know, it was almost, like, I almost probably I probably felt like I was paying sixty four dollars just to see what hand he's beat me with. Mm-hmm. Um but I called and he surprisingly showed me ten nine of diamonds. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so 
he basically raised the flop as I don't know what that was with top pair and like you know um, uh, marginal kicker. I mean, it's kind of just to see where he's at. Right, it's kind of what I was talking about before. Mm-hmm. Is there's some players, not all, but but many, when the pre-flop raiser bets like a a, a relatively dry flop, uh, even though they're not maybe thinking in like dry and wet terms, uh, mm-hmm. they're just kind of thinking, oh, he probably didn't hit it. I have a pair. My life is going to be easier if I just raise, without really thinking on kind of like a multi-street level. So I think definitely those that's. You know, if he can get to the flop with ten nines, given the pre-flop comment, ten nine, ten nine right. suited. So I think that's. This also shows we were talking before about how we can make a lot of really specific exploitative reads against live players because of the things they say. We also have to be careful to not make too specific reads, <laughs> yeah. uh, because obviously that clouded our whole range analysis. And if he's able to have suited connectors there and be able to raise top pair, medium kicker, then I think you actually played the hand then it's like definitely a call on the turn, you know? Yeah. And it's probably a call on the river too. So, well, that's still yet to be seen. But yeah. <laughs> I, I do think it, it's important to note that probably our turn fold would have been a little bit nitty, but the fact that these hands and probably similar hands are in the range doesn't necessarily mean that our strategy is going to become less profitable. You know, it's, it's probably actually going to be way more profitable to even take a similar line if he's playing this way, as long as we loosen up a little bit on and, you know, call the turn here. I, st- I still think with stack sizes, probably you you get roped into calling the river as gross as it still is. Uh, well, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think someone who's saying, I would have raised, being honest about it with a pseudo-connector who's going to barrel the turn on that card, um, I think they're going to bluff you know, the, whatever, more than 20% of the time on the river. Yeah, I just, there's just like, maybe. Listen, I think with the information we had, uh, I actually still like folding the turn. I think this is an important point. Like, retroactively, we can say this is what we would have done if we, exactly. if we knew this. But when someone makes that comment pre-flop, Carlos, like, mm-hmm. I, I am kind of putting them on a similar range to the one you did, and I'm not thinking they have pseudo connectors. Uh, and I think that's an okay exploitative assumption to make, but when you make really exploitative assumptions, sometimes you know you're wrong. And but I think most of the time, especially at the, the lower stakes and especially at home games, uh, you're gonna make a lot more money by you know narrowing their range like that. That it's it's worth it uh, as long as you know you have some experience and confidence in those reads. Right. I think two comments I want to make. One is I don't hate the read based on that comment but i just wish i was a little bit more flexible flexible like maybe um discount some of those combos but don't eliminate them completely um that's one thought i have about this hand and another one is more of a question like do you make a distinction between the suited com the suited connectors like when i think back to that comment like in retrospect yeah, I can see him making that comment truthfully about 10-9 suited, but not 6-5 suited. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, can, I feel like I can comfortably say that he has no two pair combos in his range. But in hindsight, 10-9 suited, 10-9 suited makes sense. But at the time, 
I'll just block that out in my head. In my head, all I thought about were pairs and like Broadway cars. Mm. No, I think that you're. I agree with you uh, pre-flop, and on the flop, I don't know if I would have. If we had mentioned the hand ten nine suited, I don't know if I would have said that. I don't think he has it pre-flop, but I do think that the real sort of strangeness here, of course, is that you know he raised a hand like that. Right uh, when he raised it, there. Uh, I thought if he was going to do that with a nine, it would be like ace nine. I, I, mm. I, just my experience with this player, I would not have guessed that he would do that with ten nine. Like the raise really confused me. I also think that if he's saying he's going to raise, he was saying he was going to raise, and he showed up with ten nine suited. He could also have jack nine suited. He could have queen ten suited, and if he's you know if he's barreling the turn, there. He can have some, like, I think maybe we can give him some bear overcard bluffs, especially with backdoor equity, backdoor flush draws. And I think all of that combined kind of leads leads the optimal play against this villain in retrospect to be a call down. Uh, but then qualifying this again that this is a very unlikely thing that happened. And I think that if you fold the turn, given the information you had against most opponents, you're going to make money in the long run, kind of like what Ed Miller says uh, in one of his books, I know you're a fellow b- big fan of, of Ed Carlos, yes. and you yes. know if you exploitably fold to all bets that could be bluffs at the 1, 2, 1, 3, and 2, 5 level, you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, the Course is the book that comes to mind when you mention that. Yeah. Where, you know, he just talks about, and I don't know if it was him or somebody else, but this comment sticks in my head. They don't bluff enough to um, deserve having their value bets paid off. Yeah, yeah, I think that I think that's the same book. Right, mm-hmm. right. So yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, so yeah, maybe the turn should have been a fold for that reason alone. Well, one thing I want to qualify is that you know. So to everyone at home, when you're if you if you're playing with someone like this and you see this sort of flop action where someone is raising you with a hand like ten nine, I don't think that we can necessarily use that as evidence to say that uh, he's bluffing any more frequently than we thought in this spot. Mm. Um, it, I think it really should only be taken as evidence that it, he doesn't understand relative hand strength and is likely to be value betting way too uh, weak, you know, overall. What led me to believe that he could be bluffing more combos on the flop is the fact that he bet the turn when he just had the, you know, when he turned, you know, the gut shot and the, and the flush draw. To me, that that's what... Uh, well, I, I oh, think no, you're he was, assuming that he turned into a bluff. Oh. I'm not necessarily assuming that that was a bluff. You think it's more of like a protection bet? That was my thought. I, like when, he, like when you call it a value bet, especially like when he raises the flop with ten nine. If we we're gonna say that's a value bet, then I think we need to say like what hands, like what worst hands do he expect to call that? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I can't think of many. Yeah, I don't think it's a value bet. Right, I feel like it's more like a protection bet in a way. Yeah, Honestly, I think it's it's more like, just like a fuck it, I have a nine bet. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's like a if I don't bet here and then he bets the river, I'm going to be really unhappy. So I should just bet now. 
Yeah, I think that that's a good qualification to make. That like, I, I guess when I when I meant given the flop action and the turn action, he's likely to have more bluffs on the flop. I bluffing is not the opportune word. Uh, hands that are worse than ours <laughs> for yeah. some reason, and that's that's why I, what I was saying earlier about our same line becomes even better. You know, we gave. I mean, it's not necessarily the case. We should try and range as accurately as possible. But in this instance, you know, giving him a strong range that turned out to be equally not bluff heavy but way weaker would just make our same type of line more profitable. So I mean, I still like leading out the turn uh, against this player. Yeah. Even though the fact that he's continuing to bet nine ten uh, makes checking. Also, also similarly more attractive. I still like the turn lead. Yeah, I think I think I like that too. And I'll run this by you because I don't know if this is good or not. Like, what do you think about a small turn lead? Expecting that this guy would like if he just calls a small turn bet on a board this wet, that kind of caps his range. Yeah, I think that's what we were thinking. You know, betting like half mm-hmm. pot on the turn and. Basically, knowing that if he calls, we're getting value from worse. And if he raises, we fold. And then maybe occasionally he calls the turn with a set, which is why I then like a very small bet on the river to, you know, a good player that's, you know, we're capping our range when we bet that. But to this player, you know, they see a scary board and they see an absolute dollar amount that's kind of large, you know, 40 to 60 dollars. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of like a, a turn half-ish pot bet and then maybe like the same act, the same bet in terms of dollar amounts, maybe a little smaller on a blank river. And then on a river like this, probably check to side, leaning towards check fold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, the only reason I could see not leading out on this turn is if you think that this player is going to, you know, say... Fuck it, like I'm gonna ship with my jacks, and then it becomes you. You, you risk getting bluffed uh, innocuously. Yeah, and that's the, that's why I, the lead the lead is really good, just because when we bet, we we really know what he's doing when he calls and when he raises. But when we give him the lead there, uh, he can be betting a larger sizing like he did for all sorts of reasons. So. Uh, yeah, I I think uh, good job ranging him and good job taking all these different factors into account, uh, and then yeah, it was it was a tough turn card and yeah, and by good job we mean we agree with you, not that you were right. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. This 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 is actually a hand I played um, a while ago, and I did want to come back to it for the podcast because I'm still I I'm I was still unsure on, on it and I've gotten several um opinions on the hand but I don't think I've heard check call flop lead turn so I think I like that line the best. Great, that's the biggest compliment we could hope for. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Carlos, I want to give you an opportunity to, you know, brag about yourself because Okay, I like doing that. (laughs) I guess, you know what, man, at this point in time, 
um, the best way just to consolidate this, consolidate this is um, I would tell everybody to check out my Twitch stream, which is at twitch.tv slash Carlos Welch. And below the stream, you can see links to everything else. So basically just appearances on other podcasts like this. And, um, uh, you know, you can also find me in the forums on Tournament Poker Edge and, you know, Thinking Poker Podcast. So, like, I'm I'm all over the place. None of it is my stuff. <laughs> so yeah. it's... Um, it's um, hard to call it a uh self-promotion uh plug but uh the i guess the the uh hub the mm-hmm. hub for you know pretty much everything that i'm currently doing online will be at the uh my twitch channel um that i said earlier um i refer to myself as the homeless poker player um uh, so for your listeners that don't know i do live in my van and so yeah, homeless poker player on Twitch. That's where you can find pretty much everything I'm doing, and also Twitter um, at Hip Hop One Hundred One Trivia on Twitter. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, check out Carlos's stuff. You'll learn a lot about poker and about cutting your living expenses. Uh, both good things. <laughs> Definitely good things for a poker player. Yes. So, Carlos, I, I tweeted this at you, I think, like last week. Uh, when are you starting your podcast? Um, you know what? The, twi- the, the Twitch is basically the same thing, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, occasionally, I do have guests. <laughs> and I uh, didn't even plan it that way, but it's just kind of worked out that way. And I often go on, um, you know, rants or just tell stories about life and you know, occasionally talk about a little poker also. So it's not a podcast, but it almost feels like a podcast to me. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, we couldn't do that. We need about 30 minutes to an hour to think through a hand. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, thanks for coming on, Carlos. Hopefully uh, one of us will catch you on Vegas this summer to the WSOP. Uh, Thank you. And, yeah, for all the listeners, please check out our our website we have a you know recent blog post where we talk about uh the five kind of most important poker books to read when first starting out and ed miller appears on there twice so we talked about him today and definitely check out his book check out the other books uh watch out for our new uh premium podcast that's coming up soon this podcast was actually inspired by the podcast that you participated on carlos on uh, thinking poker the coaching carlos series so I take a similar approach where I'm, I'm coaching with a, you know, a Maryland Live 2-5 grinder going over some hands and you know, adding kind of how I would study about it and you know, how I'd recommend doing range analysis. Uh, so I hope, hope you all enjoy that. And in a week's time, Jack and I will be taking a poker trip to the Hard Rock Casino in Fort Lauderdale where we'll be sure to have lots of hands, trip reports, and you know, time to work on the site. So... Uh, Exciting things happening here at Just Hands Poker, and we look forward to bringing you some new, bringing you some new content shortly. Yeah, beautiful. All right, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you guys next Tuesday.